Well, hello. Welcome to the Chasing Sunday podcast. I'm your host, Brian Davis. Um, thank you so much for listening and uh, for checking us out. Um, this is a ministry of Torn Curtain Arts, uh, which is a nonprofit based in the Denver area. And we exist to help strengthen the creative soul of Denver worship leaders. And so we want this podcast to be a resource for worship leaders and for creatives who feel like um, maybe they've been stifled a little bit creatively, maybe they feel like they need uh, just some help or maybe a fresh perspective. Um, Particularly, we want to talk about uh, helping worship leaders uh, get off the treadmill of ministry. Uh, The name Chasing Sunday came from the idea of worship leaders and, and other church leaders basically just running from Sunday to Sunday and not uh, really living their lives or, or having any uh, source of creativity or anything like that during the rest of the week or, or whenever um, whenever they feel that need to be creative because they're so consumed with making Sunday uh, the best day of the week for people who attend church. So um, we want to hopefully provide um, some empathy, hopefully uh, provide a place uh, of catharsis um, for uh, for you, the worship leader or the church creative, um, to help find, um, I don't know, maybe just some resources or uh, or just commiserate with other people in ministry who have been where you are. So um, in this first episode, um, I'm talking with my partner at Torn Curtain Arts. His name is Paul Romig-Levitt. Paul and I have been dear friends for a very long time. Uh, we went to college together at CCU, um, and Paul is quite possibly one of the most creative people that I've ever met, one of the most passionate people that I've ever met. He's a darn good worship leader. Uh, he's a great, uh, has a great like producer's eye and ear and mind, um, and just has done, um, the things that I've done with him in ministry have been some of the most rewarding and uh, some of the most hilarious uh, and uh, just some of the most life-giving things that I've ever done in ministry. And so when we decided to uh, work in work together uh, for Torn Curtain Arts, um, it was just, I don't want to say a match made in heaven, but maybe it was. Maybe it was a match made in heaven. I don't know. God is a mystery. Anyway, um, that is uh, what this episode is about. Paul's going to share his story. We talk a little bit about just what it's like to be in the trenches of ministry and uh, a little bit about our story uh, in Torn Curtain. So um, hope you enjoy this. Uh, Before we get started, just want to let you know if you were listening to this, uh, you're a worship leader in the Denver area and you feel like you need a break, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Um, We would love to grab a cup of coffee with you, sit down, talk about ministry, um, try to help you any way you can. If that's giving you a weekend off and coming in and doing some substitute worship leading. If you feel like you need coaching and you want to uh, work with one of us to kind of help um, 
I don't know, just help with anything. Uh, the last thing we want is for you to feel like you're alone. So uh, if you need help, please do reach out. You can go to torncurtainarts.org and our email addresses are there. You can uh, look us up and send us a message. We would be happy to uh, spend some time with you and hang out and, uh, and help you in any way that we can. So uh, that's my pitch. I'll say a little bit more at the end of this episode, but for right now, please enjoy... Uh, my conversation with my dear friend, Paul Romig-Levitt. Hello. Hey, there he is. They sound okay. Yeah, I sound great. Great. Sound just fantastic. So delicious. Sound delicious. <laughs> so delicious. So this is uh, this is Paul Romaglevit. Uh, say hi to everybody, Paul. Hello, everyone. Uh, everyone. So hopefully, glad to put my voice into your ears. Yeah. Hopefully, some people listen to this. Um, so we, uh, Paul and I, work together uh, at Torn Curtain Arts, um, which is a a nonprofit that helps to strengthen the creative soul of worship leaders in the Denver area. And um, we've been doing that together for two years now, but we've known, well, going on three, eh, no, two, two years, two years, 2018. Let's not jump the gun here. Let's not, let's not. So, uh, so anyway, we, um, yeah, we started working on that together two years ago, but we've been friends for, oh, 20 years or maybe more. Um, and, uh, we've, uh, we've done ministry stuff together. We've done, uh, we've lived together. We've all kinds of things together. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, Paul, you've got a great, uh, you've got a great story about being in ministry and about, uh, leading worship and, and you've been at, you've done so many different things. And so I just thought that, um, hearing your perspective on uh, ministry and um, leading worship and all that kind of stuff uh, would be uh, very helpful to other worship leaders. And that's why, well, that's why we're talking today. That's great. That's what I love to do. Good. I love to talk to worship leaders, creatives, artists, just share yeah. the stories and see if we can help each other make better stuff together. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so let's start at the beginning. Um, which I've heard is a very good place to start. Um, how, how did you get into paid professional ministry? What was, uh, kind of, what was, what was that journey like? And, um, yeah, kind of the places that you've been and the, the stuff that you've done as you've been in ministry. Uh, it's interesting that you, when you asked me a couple of these questions ahead of time, um, I went back and I tried to find the first church that paid me, to lead worship. And I was like, I don't even know if I remember their names. And I was like, I remember it was in Johnstown. I remember that um, I had a friend when we were in CCU, uh, Colorado Christian University. Um, her name is Shanna. And Shanna yeah. Weber was her name. Yes. she She's now Shanna Dowdy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, has been for, she's been married probably got married before either one of us got married. Yeah, I think so. Um, but uh, her father had planted a church there in Johnstown. Um, and 
And I just thought, I wonder if they're even sitting around. So I just typed up Johnstown Church. Um, and there they were, Grace Church. Um, Bob Weber was the pastor, is the pastor still. Wow. And that's so fantastic. I was yeah. just like, oh man, that's awesome. They were the so I was maybe a sophomore in at CCU. So that would have been 1998, 99. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, they were meet in a, a school, high school auditorium. And yeah. I would bring in my keyboard and I'd sing. And uh, I think they started developing a band at that time, but now they looks like they have their own building. And, but that was the first um, paid worship leading job that I did. Um, and then continued to do that. I think I did that for a, a, maybe a year and then went on to work for, I don't remember what, how many other churches, um, in, in Denver, uh, Foothills Bible church was one, a church called new hope, um, in Thornton that I don't think is still around anymore. And, uh, the, and then was at crossroads community church down in Parker for about two and a half years doing youth ministry and music ministry. Um, and then left that to kind of be a part of a church called the refuge in Broomfield, uh, for man, I think a good five, five years, five or six years and left that to be the worship pastor at a church called restoration in Denver. Um, and that whole time, at least from the time I left crossroads was when I had started torn curtain, which was doing, uh, mostly working for dare to share ministries, uh, evangelism conference that I would write and direct for and help coach actors. And to do that at the same time as helping with, um, churches with their worship ministry. Um, so that, that's kind of my long sorted past and through that, that whole time, you know, navigating my evolving faith and what it meant for me to follow Jesus and, uh, uh unpack all the, the, the different things that I had maybe learned about the tradition of Christianity in, in America and what stuff I wanted to keep and what stuff I needed to throw away. Um, so all of that's been happening. Yeah. For the last probably 19 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, around the time that, that we met. Yeah, that's for sure. Weird. Did I'm sure that I had something to do with that. Um, you, you definitely did. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm almost positive that I did not. Um, uh, <laughs> tell tell us a little bit about um it, kind of your i know this is a we've talked about this a little bit before and it's a very interesting yeah story or at least you have an interesting perspective on it um it might not be an interesting story at all but your perspective is very interesting um it, it, talk about kind of your 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 call into ministry and your oh interesting kind yeah. of your like i don't know you've you've like I said, we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but, but that whole, like, what was, what was your view of ministry like growing up and, and how did you feel about being called into that? Like to be basically a, basically to be a professional Christian, yeah. um, for lack of a better term, like what, what was that like for you? Yeah. Yeah. This is, I've, I've recently had to go into this past into this mythology into my own mythology as it were mm. just recently and uh it's so it's very current and fresh for me to kind of unpack um why i started on this path to begin with and um 
maybe quite honestly, some of the, the, the maybe darker motivations, um, uh, uh, that got me into this, this world. Yeah. Um, and I'll just kind of, uh, say, so part of my mythology is this, what I thought was a dramatic, um, conversion experience, but may have more to do with my fictionalizing events. Um, and I, and that's the thing is I think all memories are fiction. They, we, they are blends hmm. of our desire and our imagination. So I, kn- I know in, in, in the, from the world of neuroscience, we don't actually recall things exactly as they are. Um, that doesn't happen in our brains. We um, mash them together based on different factors. Um, even how we're feeling, if we're hungry or, or whatever, something like that shapes the way we sure. think about um, our history and our past. And it's all mm-hmm. shaped by something in our brain called, I don't want to go in the brain stuff, but anyway, it's the <laughs> stuff that fascinates me. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't need we to won't go into that. all that science with science stuff. Anyway, to get back to your story, this get is good. To your story, yeah. Brain. I was, I, I was, Einstein. <laughs> I was just realizing this is a moment of, of growth for me that I can actually get back to my point of what I'm trying to say instead yeah. of following a bunny trail. <laughs> so we're not here for an hour. Um, no, but I was at a YMCA camp up in, in Estes park in which I, I felt like Jesus was speaking to me very explicitly and personally uh, uh, that I needed to let go of anger in my life in order to find a a path towards him and towards in order to be saved, I would say, or maybe it wasn't, I felt like it was saved in that, in what I understood sa- salvation to be mm-hmm. at that time, but maybe to convert toward conversion towards yeah. being maybe lordship is the word that is like, woof, really sticky for me now and, sure. and tricky. But, um, that was what I was like, Hey, do you want to be, um, do I want to surrender all of my life, focus, vocation, everything to Jesus in his direction? And it was happening there. So that was maybe like when I was in eighth grade, I don't know Mm. what year that was. And then since that time it was moving closer and closer to him. And then I started feeling maybe I should go into youth ministry or into worship ministry. And that was, basically in my junior year or maybe yeah, of high school um, okay. where I was at a conference. I think it was, uh, oh gosh, a guy who writes a lot of Christian self-helpy books, Max something, not Lucado. Not Lucado. No, Max, um, businessy kind of guy Max who writes the biz, business stuff. Huh. Five Levels of Leadership was a book that he wrote. Hmm. Um, anyway, if you know who I'm talking about, just write Brian. <laughs> just tell Brian, him. I love getting random emails Get from people. Emails. About I remember things, who that is. About things that I forgot. <laughs> Shoot, I don't even know. Anyway, he was speaking. And he was like, does anybody want to go into full-time ministry? And it was hmm. like this altar call. And I took that altar call. I walked down. I was in Cincinnati, Ohio. Walked down the aisle. Got a little devotional kit. And people were like, great, here's what you need to start. It's a devotional. And this is how you begin to go into paid professional Christian ministry. But that worked on me. Yeah. Was it John Maxwell? 
John Maxwell. Sorry, John, John Maxwell. Maxwell. No, don't, Thank you. you. You don't need to apologize. Well, I feel like I should. I should have apologized for a lot of things yeah. in my life. Let's <laughs> no. do that on a different <laughs> <laughs> Go through our, our grievances and we'll make amends. and <laughs> So many apologies to make. <laughs> so many apologies. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that was what I felt like did it. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to school for this. And I went to CCU. And so that was the the calling, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But um, as of late, I realized um, that I started wondering whether or not I've ever actually had any kind of mystical experience with Jesus Mm. or whether this was these things that through the circumstances of set and setting of me wanting to belong, of me wanting to um, please my parents, Quite honestly, mm-hmm. um, I think I I realized that there was a um, I, I had taken this sort of unconscious childhood vow, and I was thinking about my childhood vow being essentially what it meant was uh, don't make mom cry. Mm. Uh, that was the that was what it meant for me to be okay in the world. So what that meant was don't get in trouble, don't be rebellious, uh, don't ask too many questions, and just just behave, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I carried that over, that childhood vow over into sort of like, well, don't make Jesus cry. Don't make <laughs> God angry. Um, right. Because when you're a kid, that's, how, that's your best way to relate to God in the beginning. So sure. both m- mother and father... These are the relationships that we assign to God in, in our relationship. Now, I'm not saying that God is a figment of our imagination, you know, necessarily. I'm just saying, like, this is how we learn how to relate to him from those early years. Right. So, in that, it may be that I got into ministry in order to prevent God from crying mm-hmm. and prevent my parents from being upset. Like, it's all obviously more complicated and nuanced than that because there was a desire of mine to want to please God and want to follow Jesus. I think there was something, but it's all mixed up there. Right. So, um, what I've discovered is in my calling that I'm not so happy about is that, um, I developed quite a nice little savior complex, (laughs) um, and, a in a way to like, I love to help people but I also like to save people. Right. You know, and I like to um, be responsible for helping them get closer to God and, sa- you know, saving them. Sure. And, uh, and so it's, it, at the same time, I began to develop a good little false self um, in me at the same time uh, as I was developing something, I think, kind of beautiful. Yeah. What, what effect did that have then on like on, on your ministry, like how you related to the churches that you worked for, how you related to the teams that you led. Um, what, like how, how did that drive your, your ministry and, and, and shape it both for, for good and for bad? Like, obviously there's, there's probably a lot of, a lot of unhealth in, in that as well. But like, yeah, this, this, seems to have could have does have a profound impact on on how all of us you know relate to and work in the church so um so what did that look like for you in terms of how you related to to the churches that you worked for and the people that you led yeah well obviously i was rewarded because i was a good performer 
and I was good at music. And yeah. so that that's rewarded. That's one of the things that's rewarded in the kind of tradition that I came from, that we came from. And especially if I could sing Christian music and if I could sing um, worship music in within that subset of Christian music, that was even more rewarded. And then the other piece that, the unique piece that I brought to it that was really rewarded um, was my the the level of vulnerability I can I mm. can have this sort of this insight that I that I would bring to it that was both um, it was like not wanted for me mm-hmm. to you know and wanted the fact right. that I would you know call something out mm-hmm. and question it and say. And there was some something about it that seemed gritty or raw or something like that. So that was both people liked it that I would just say it how it is, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> and and be very vulnerable. And at the same time, it was part of the sophisticated false self too sure. that I knew I could play into that and perf- and make that part of my performance. Yeah. And so, yeah, right. That's all sorts of screwed up where it was like, yeah, really rewarded. <laughs> and I was compensated for that. Like right. I, w- I, that was how I made money and that was how I was able to survive. And then also when I had my family, then my family survival was tied up in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would call a, you know, a double bind. Sure. Um, where I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to be authentic because I, I always felt like I was playing a role. Right. Um, well, in that, at way. least, at least for me, and I'm just going to interrupt you because that's what, yeah, good, no, go ahead. That's what good podcast hosts do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is, you know, not, it, it doesn't just get confined to your job at the church. You know, it, it leaks into all these other areas of your life. At least that's my experience is like, yes. yeah, so I can, I can stand on stage in front of, you know, a thousand people and I'm only going to show you this much and you're going to applaud and, and reward me for it. Then you start to do that with your family and your friends and, and yeah. the people that you're supposed to be the most vulnerable around. Yeah. You start to play this, this same game and play this same role of like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to really show you everything. I'm going to show you, you know, or sometimes, you know, at least in my case, it was, I was, I became more comfortable showing those pieces of myself in front of a large group of people than I did exactly. even in front of my own, the, the people that I was closest to. And so there would be times that I'd share something from the stage or, you know, or, yep. or give a talk somewhere and reveal this big thing about myself <laughs> and then get home and realize like, Oh, I should have, I probably should have talked to you about that right. <laughs> before, yeah. before I told this entire massive group of strangers you know one of my deepest darkest secrets (laughs) right and it really shows like yeah so that's a picture of unhealth i was just like and because it is definitely in me because i'm a performer and because i orient myself as a performer to the world um, i expect everybody to be my audience Hmm. and so the that is definitely applied to my my family and of course with my wife who had the um the courage to like uh refuse to give me that Mm. and it didn't go well obviously (laughs) because my ego wants 
an audience. And I was like, had that story. I was like, but you are the one closest to me. You should be like my partner. Like you should be my biggest fan. Right. And that is really dangerous. Like you do not want your partner to be your biggest fan. They, um, and I, I, I've, that's new. I'm still trying to get my head around that. Whereas like, she doesn't want to show up at the church that I'm leading worship. She doesn't want to see me yeah. lead worship anymore. She was like, you know, I'm kind of done being your groupie. <laughs> um, and she grew up Christian too. So it was like, she had this expectation that that's what it looked like for me, for her to just support me, right. to support the pastor, the worship leader. And that the, the church expected that of her. And I expected that of her. And it meant, you know, her, satisfying maybe hurt some of her childhood vows and stuff like that and when she got somehow i don't know how where she got this courage to kind of say like no i'm not going to do this for you anymore yeah it hurt mm-hmm. but it has provided a lot of real opportunities for intimacy because yeah. she all of a sudden be, said no you're not the performer with me you're going to be something different um and yeah. i was like oh what am i if i'm not the performer I can maybe be my something else, my, my, maybe a truer version of myself there. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a, that's a gift. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a gift at first, right. but it's a, but it's a gift. I, you know, a lot of, a lot of these attitudes that I had about ministry and, and some of those things you were talking about in terms of like, or that we were talking about in terms of, you know, only showing a part of you like that, that cost me a marriage, you know? Yeah. And so when I got, when I got remarried um, and, and, you know, my, my wife and I started having these conversations, you know, she was, she was very clear. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be the typical church wife, like sitting in the front row with the big hair and a big Bible in my lap, like just, you know, supporting every single word that you say and, and all that. And, you know, like you said, she, she wasn't, she told me very early on, like, I'm not going to be your fan. And, mm-hmm. and that was simultaneously relieving mm-hmm. and a gigantic blow to my ego because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, but wait, if I don't have you as a fan, I might not have any fans. Right. <laughs> and, and that's just not true. Like that yeah. people, people always want to, like, they always want to relate to the person that's on stage. They always want to yeah. be like there's no shortage of people who are like simply because you stand on a stage and play an instrument and sing a song are going to be like, Oh, you're great. Right. Um, right. Or I suppose they could be guys. Oh, you're great. Like, um, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, it, it was, it's, that is a hard adjustment to make, um, into realizing like the person that you're closest to doesn't, doesn't want the persona. Like they, they want you. Um, yeah. and that's, man, that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so throughout, unless you had more to say about that, I want to kind of, I think, I think that kind of like, thankfully I've solved it. So we can just wrap (laughs) that up, put that away. Good job, (laughs) man, man, Paul, thank you for, for fixing all of us. (laughs) Zip, zap, zap. Zip, zap, zap, zippity, boppity. Um, <laughs> the rest of the podcast will just be <laughs> gibberish. Just making noise. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So through throughout your time of of leading worship, um, there there have to be some things that that you loved about it, um, and yeah. I'm sure that there are things that you have not enjoyed. Um, what 
what's one thing that that like mm-hmm. just gets you out of bed when when you think about like ah oh, I, I get to lead worship today because there yeah there have been a couple moments what i would call maybe you know being in a flow being in that in that place of shalom and um a couple of factors that would do that and i would say they're let's just be honest they're kind of few and far between mm-hmm. um they they come mostly because of a relational reality so that i know the people that i'm i'm going to be playing music with very well i know their stories they happen to be very good at what they do so they're they're in a good spot in their giftedness um i've met and then i'm i'm called to to come to some level of the edge of my ability you know mm-hmm. where i'm not i'm not just like doing something that's easy for me there's an extra level of attention and effort that's involved um in the in the music but uh also it's like all the factors just kind of sync up that the the um the, the person who's running slides the person who's behind the soundboard that they're all sort of synced up everybody's yeah. really paying attention uh and feels like they're they're doing something creative um it those moments um are the moments i probably love the most yeah. um in those in those spaces yeah yeah. So then would you say that, that then the flip side of that is because, you know, you mentioned that those, those moments that we love are often few and far between. Mm-hmm. So the ones that, that you hate that make you want to stay in bed in the morning, <laughs> mm-hmm. would those also come from that relational, from that relational spectrum? Like, because I'm, you know, I'm out of sorts with so-and-so or because I'm like, Oh crap, I've got to play with that person today or like is it the same like yeah i would call it are there deeper things that keep you from wanting to to get up and lead worship i it's definitely going back to the false self the false self is when i'm when i'm in that place so if i'm out of out of sync relationally with somebody else it's because i'm not really i don't feel the space to be myself there yeah i i and i'm putting on I'm so distracted or I feel like um, forced into producing something that Mm -hmm. I cannot produce Mm -hmm. because, um, and so when I can't do it, then the false self comes out. Like I go, okay, I'm going to put on this persona again. And when I'm in that persona, but, but in internally it's fighting inside me going like what are you doing you fake (laughs) you fraud you whatever and i'm so distracted and i'm i can't pay attention i can't be present to the people that i'm with right that that's the thing that that i hate and when it really gets bad is when um is uh when i can't hide it anymore and i don't know whatever the distractions are so you you become uh, overbearing at, at the the kind of sound quality that you're getting, like right. your monitor mix sucks, or um, the slides are terrible, and the the that stupid volunteer who is just like gets it wrong every time, and he's right. the one who's going to be, you know, it's like all that stuff that you focus on. Right. It's because your false self is just out of control, and you you can't stop and grieve the ways in which you've been complicit in it. So yeah. that's my I think. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Um, so in, in Torque Curtain, you and I work a lot with, um, 
with worship leaders who are on the verge of, of burnout, who are, you know, who are doing too much and, and, or who feel like they're just sort of trapped in, in this, you know, in this endless loop of, you know, what, what we've called chasing Sunday, uh, which is, you know, the name of this podcast. So, um, so yeah, can you, like, when, when did you realize, um, cause I think all of us have either have been to that place or we're on our way to that place. Um, when did you realize that you were sort of on this ministry treadmill? Um, and, and what was it that sort of broke you that made you want to, to kind of get off of it and start helping people, um, the kinds of people that we help, um, in, yeah. in ministry right now? What, what was that for you? Um, when did you realize that? Um, realized that in at the end of 2017, you know, kind of as I was going through my biggest flame out, um, and uh, you know, what I'm trying to do is I'm on this path to kind of help myself, essentially. Hmm. Um, and in the uh, as I do that, maybe become like. Um, Henry Nowen would would model the 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 wounded healer. Mm. Um, I think that's probably the best um, course to be on. Is as we are trying to be healed, we are involved in the healing of other people. Yeah. And so, I knew something was wrong with me um, that I had not been paying attention to that center that source that i needed to be and because the false self had just now become so overbearing that um i couldn't see another way of proceeding in ministry um at the at the way i was going um and yeah as and we stumbled on in you know the beginning of 2018 and you know brian and i really started um I said Brian in the third person, like I was like, I'm trying to talk to an audience, but you and I talked about what we could do because we were seeing this trend Uh and it wasn't just anecdotal. Obviously every person that we spoke to um, in ministry was articulating the same frustration and the same experience and the same sort of helplessness. And then as we got further into it and talking to other people, sociologists and other people doing um, plate working in a, organizations that place pastors they were like no there's substantial data to say that this is a huge problem you know 30 30 million 40 million people you know who look and sound just like you who are just leaving the church because they don't know what to do and there's no other there's no solutions and we're like it's not like we can have this um massive effect on that many people but what we can do is we can try and see in our little corner of the world, is there anything we can do to help participate in the solution as opposed to like just throwing our hands up about the problem. Right. Um, so that's what we started doing and we're continuing to try think creatively around this problem. And that's what I guess torn curtain has become. Yeah. What, what would you say are some of the, some of the driving factors right now behind, behind that, uh, you know, the, the burnout and the, you know, the, I don't want to say mass exodus, maybe it is a mass exodus. Um, but this, the, the, uh, 
the the introduction of the duns the people who still have yeah. some sort of you know still have some sort of faith or they played a you know usually a pretty big role in their in their church and and were excited about it and then they just said you know what i just can't play this game anymore um what would you say are some of those in your opinion um what what brings a person to that place yeah well uh, I think first I would say that we fall within uh, a big historical context that I think um, if you look at uh, historical shifts in the last 500 years, we're actually pretty due. It seems pretty normal what we're, what we're going through. Mm. Um, but on, you know, and I would say that that is attributed to a couple of factors. One is uh, technology, when technology shifts, there tends to be a shift also in philosophy um, and then which then feeds another shift in technology. Hmm. So just like in the Reformation, when there was a big shift theologically because of a big crisis, a catalytic catalytic event like the Reformation, which Mm -hmm. had substantial effects. We think of one moment as the Reformation, Reformation, but the Reformation lasted for about a hundred years as people were, were making shifts around and different ideologies and shifts were happening there. One of the technological happen, um, correlations to that was the invention of the printing press, mm. which shifted the, the center of gravity from authority being in the Pope to authority being in the word, the written word. Mm. Um, and that written word gave, co- it codified a language of, around God in the, for the people that had not existed before. Right. So therefore authority began to shift and created a big mess. And of which now we're on the other end of that 500 years to which the technology technological shift was the internet, which mm-hmm. now created, uh, and at the time of this recording, we're in the middle of uh, the COVID-19 crisis, which has forced a shift where that we limited our physical space. Mm-hmm. And now we are only available to meet and to interact in a virtual way. Yeah. So I think the internet created a shift in space. Along these lines too, there's been a shift in, in business. So in, from the industrial age mindset to, um, to what we're moving toward is a participation age mindset. So back to your question about what are the contributing factors that cause these sort of burnout? And I think it's the natural shift from moving from an industrial age mindset to a participation age. A lot of churches are still in that other shift, which is we've got to grow. Scale is king. So we've got to grow at all costs. Mm -hmm. And you've got to essentially, even though a lot of churches, um, their roles are untraditional, Mm -hmm. there's still this sort of punch a time clock, trade your time for money mentality. So when you look at somebody who is, a knowledge worker, like a, a minister or a creative who doesn't necessarily have a, 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 a trade time for money idea, right? then that drives a lot of people to get burned out because they're thinking, okay, I've got to generate all this content creatively on, a, on your clock. Right. It doesn't really work that way. What you end up putting out is drivel and derivative. Um, and so that kills the creative soul, but they feel like I've got to do this in order to make I've, my paycheck. Yeah. I've got to legitimize my, my role here. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Mm. So I, I think that's, I, I didn't mean to take us down that road, but I do no, think that good. really impact us invisibly. That's really what's under the surface. And we experience an, an immense amount of anxiety um, because as creatives, we go like, is anything that I make really meaningful? Or right. is it just spitting out the next week? Is it chasing Sundays? You know, is it yeah. just spitting out a new thing? Um, to just keep people uh, entertained, essentially, but in a Christian way. You know, we're creating Christian entertainment, sure. not necessarily facilitating spiritual transformation. Right. And that drives people crazy. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Um, so what kinds of advice uh, would you offer to a worship leader or to a creative who feels like they're stuck in that rut? who feels like they're on that treadmill of just running from Sunday to Sunday. Um, and, you know, what, what hope is there for the church going forward? You had mentioned that we're in this great, um, you know, kind of another great shift right now um, as we walk through uh, the COVID-19 crisis and as churches sort of readapt um, or adapt to, to that new way of doing church where we can't gather in buildings anymore. We can't do things exactly the way that we've done them um, in the past. Um, so what, what does church look like on the other side of this? Um, so what, what, uh, what advice do you offer? to worship leaders and creatives on the treadmill and what does, what does this look like when we all come back to work quote unquote um, on the other side of this, uh, the other side of this shift that we're in right now. Okay. So what I'm going to say is probably not going to sound like good news (laughs) and, uh, and I get it. And I also think it probably can pretty easily be dismissed, but I want to encourage you to think about this later. Um, what I think you need to do is actually burn out. Um, I think uh, if you are on the verge of burning out, the wrong thing to do is to resist it. Here's what I mean. Because that burnout is a sign to you. That burnout is your dashboard lights blinking at you and saying like, just like the indicators of your car, you don't know if what's going on is you've got no coolant or you actually don't have any oil or as a kind of, you're going to have to actually stop and look under the hood Mm -hmm. in order to think there is no way to fix this while you're driving. Mm. So you've actually got to burn out. Um, now how you burn out is, um, what you can control. You can either, uh, like without, you know, sort of like is tell everybody today or tomorrow or something like, it's just kind of like, I quit, I'm done, I'm out, whatever. Um, and then leave, or you can kind of say, listen, here's, I'm burning out. This is going to be my plan (laughs) and let people know. But most people are not that, are not that, um, you know, cause we're dealing with, you know, years and years of, uh, yeah. habits and patterns mm-hmm. that you've been complicit in quite honestly, right. there's been a lot that has been done to you. Okay. Right. Because there's a lot of people who are doing their own. Can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah. Why um, not? Okay. 
and I do mean this literally, like they've got their own shit and they've mm-hmm. piled it in into the same room and you do too. Right. And um, there's no way to, to go forward until you stop. Now, um, I think we have an opportunity right now um, because of COVID-19 um, to get sort of a reset involved. Mm. We have been forced to stop. Everybody's yeah. been forced to stop. And everybody has been doing one of two things. Either they've been pushing the gas harder, trying to do the same thing that they've done before, but just with more effort, thinking like, this is what it requires. Um, And it does require extra work. Like, there's no question, this is going to be hard. Um, But the the reality is um, the same methods, the same things that you've been doing up to this point are not going to work anymore. And I don't know what's next for the church. Hmm. Um, I don't, um, uh, there's a, there's a poem I've gone back to again recently, uh, by T.S. Eliot and it comes from his East Coker, um, triplet or quartet. Um, and it's, it's in the third passage in which he says, you must wait without hope. You have to Hmm. wait without, um, because if, um, wait without hope because I think I have it. Let me, if, if I can just read this section that I'm thinking, sure. um, just so I don't miss it up. I, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Mm. Right. You want to just hope for what you came back from? Like, that's not the answer. Right. No. Uh, wait without love for love would be the love of the wrong thing. Yet there is faith, but the faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. And mm. okay? so that's, that's the only thing I can, I ob- obviously I started thinking about all these different things about the participation age and what it requires and what you can do next and how you can solve and fix this man, woman, whatever you need to do to stop and wait is what I recommend. Yeah. Don't do anything. Mm. Just figure out what you need to do in the, the next right thing for this moment. You've got a job, right? You've got something that you need to take care of this week or today. Do that. But maybe stop after that. Stop, stop trying to come up with a strategy or a fix or solution. Mm. And listen. I don't know. That's what I would say. Man, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, Paul, thank you. I appreciate you. I always uh, always love your your wisdom and your insight. Um, and you're, you're one hell of a good friend too. So, mm. um, you too, so there's, there's that. Uh, shucks. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for doing this. Um, hang in there. I know it's yeah. a it's a weird time, um, and uh, yeah, we'll keep we'll keep on keeping on, and um, yeah, keep on so, keeping on. Yep. All that's right. What we do. All right, man. Love you. Love you too. Thanks. Okay. So that was uh, Paul Romig Levitt. Uh, who is just so much smarter than me. Um, man, so many good little nuggets of, of wisdom and advice in there. Um, he has written a lot of really marvelous things. Uh, you can check those out on our website. He's a great writer, uh, great speaker. So um, if you go to torncurtainarts.org, you can find out more about what we do. 
if you listen to this and uh, you feel like you're in a place where you're stuck or you need help, uh, like I said before, please do not hesitate to reach out. We just can't do this alone and we shouldn't do this alone. So uh, go to torncurtainarts.org, reach out, let us know how we can help you um, and and we'd be more than happy to do that. Um also, uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, so if you enjoy this content and other things that we have done in the past and would like to uh, see more of that happen, um, please feel free to donate right there on the website. Um, if there's value in this for you and you want to put a little bit of money behind that, uh, feel free to do that. We are grateful for uh, for any gifts that we receive. So, um yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, like I said, uh, I'm Brian Davis. I'm the host and, um, and I record and engineer and produce all this stuff by myself. Um, Paul Roman Levitt is our president and he is also the executive producer. Our music, if you enjoy that, uh, at the beginning and here at the end is produced by a wonderful man named Danny Burton. You can find out more information about him on our website, torncurtainarts.org. Thank you so much for listening. Please do tune in next time to the Chasing Sunday podcast.